You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. So glad that you're here with us, whether you're here in the building or whether you're joining us online, uh, welcome. And we're glad to have this opportunity on Thanksgiving weekend to be able to study God's Word. And if you have a Bible with you right now, um, we would invite, I would invite you to open it up, whether it's a paper Bible, phone Bible, whatever, open it up to the book of Philippians. And if you've been with us for a little while now, you know that we're in a series called Grounded, and we're talking about living faithfully in a broken world. I don't know about you, but I know I've been blessed by the messages, hearing different people coming in and just hearing different messages along this theme of what it truly means to be grounded in Jesus Christ right now in the time that we live in and the hope of Christ's return, the perspective that Jesus Christ can give and and the benefits and the, the joy of faith in Jesus Christ and how that changes everything. I know I've been so blessed and I hope you have been as well. And today... We're going to jump into the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, continuing on with the same uh, theme, and we're going to be talking about being grounded in gratitude, being grounded in a thankful heart, a rejoicing heart, and Philippians chapter 4 is a wonderful place to go for that, um, because the book of Philippians, you'll know, written by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison, yet the book of Philippians is unique because it speaks of rejoicing more times than any other New Testament epistle that we have. The word rejoice comes in in Scripture around 200 times, and nine times are found right here in this little tiny book of just four chapters. And so I'm praying today that the Lord would lead you and your heart to rejoice in Him in a greater depth, a greater level. I'm praying He would do that in me as well. And so hopefully hopefully you're making your way to Philippians. It's obviously in the New Testament. Um, And if you can't find it, just go to the front of your Bible and Find it in the index and then find it. But if you're going there right now, I just want you to kind of take a second right now and just track with me on something, something that I've noticed, kind of one of those strange phenomena of this season, I guess, right? Uh, One of those weird things. And if you live kind of out in the country like I do, uh, then uh, chances are you've probably noticed it a little bit more. Um, but, But in the middle of this pandemic, it seems like everybody is growing a vegetable garden. Has anyone noticed that? People that like have never, ever, ever thought of growing a vegetable or anything, like if it didn't come in a bag, I don't want it. Those people have like this massive garden that's like taking over their entire yard and, you know, climbing up over the fence and the whole bit. And I've noticed this. There's just like gardens popping up all over the place. And I guess, uh, I guess they call these COVID gardens. They're COVID gardens uh, because it's only going to happen when we're in COVID because the rest of the time you're not going to have the time for it. Well, to be honest with you, uh, we gave in to the COVID garden thing, and uh, we have a big garden this year. And, uh, and uh, as I've been taking care of this garden, I've realized, and gardening is a lot of work. You know, no wonder people don't do it when actual things are happening in life, right? It's just so much work. It's so labor-intensive. And it's hard work. Like, you get out there in the spring, and even if you have a machine, you know, you've got to cultivate that soil. That takes work. And then you've got to, you know, add some fertilizer to it um, before you get going. And then you've got to wait for that to mellow down. Then you've got to plant. Okay, you've got to plant the seeds or plant the plants. And then you need to care for these little tiny plants like they're your babies. 
Like these things are going to die and your world is going to come crashing down if they don't survive. And so you're doing all of that and then you're watering and not to mention the weeds. Like, the, you know, to grow like a weed, like there's just weeds coming up everywhere. I noticed this like once we got into May in my garden, I would walk out there in the evening thinking, oh, this is going to be nice and relaxing. And I'm going to really enjoy myself out there looking at how everything's growing. And I walk out there, and the day before, there wasn't a weed in my garden. And all of a sudden, there's weeds that are like this tall. Just they've shot up everywhere. And all of a sudden, I just find myself neck deep in work again. Well, listen, if you're going to have a garden, it's going to take cultivating. If you're going to grow something that's valuable, if you're going to harvest produce and expect a harvest from your garden, it's going to take some work. Likewise, in our Christian lives, if we want to see gratitude flourish and grow, if we want to see thanksgiving grow in our lives and thankful hearts grow in our lives, these are things that need to be constantly cultivated. Because I don't know about in your life, but I know that the weeds of grumbling grow up pretty fast in my life. And if I'm not after this and cultivating a, a thankful heart consistently, it's so easy for me to get sidetracked and just weighed down by the heaviness of this world, weighed down by the heaviness of this season. And really, this is exactly what we are seeing here in Philippians chapter 4. We are seeing what it means to be grounded in gratitude, to be grounded in a thankful heart that rejoices in the Lord. And so if you have your Bible with me, just look down there and just read along with me. We're just going to look at verses 4 through 7 this morning. Verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes this to the believers at Philippi, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This morning, there's so much that we could say about this passage, about this text, but I really just want to draw four things out for us today. Four simple things that I really believe will be a benefit and a help as we look at cultivating gratitude and thankfulness in our own hearts, in our own lives during this difficult time. And so here's the first one. We're going to jump right into it. The first one's right here. Okay, we're coming right out of the first verse that we read, verses four and then verses five. When I'm, grat- when I'm grounded in gratitude, I will rejoice in the kindness of my God. Notice that. Notice that. Right there in verse 4. Notice what Paul writes. He writes, rejoice. Underline that word in your Bible. You know, if you've got a pen with you and if, you know, you're not afraid to write in your Bible, it's good to write in your Bible. Okay, don't, don't correct the Bible, but, you know, underline stuff so you can find it later. Okay, underline that word or circle that word rejoice. Rejoice. Now, notice that Paul doesn't just say rejoice one time. Paul says rejoice two times. In other words, he really wants to make sure that we get this. You know, so he he emphasizes this by saying rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Well, when do we rejoice in the Lord? Well, in Paul's view, in Paul's mind, we rejoice in the Lord on two different days. We rejoice on the good days. We rejoice on the bad days. Did you notice that right there? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot that we could say about this, but I want you to notice one other thing right there. 
What does it say right after it says rejoice? Rejoice in who? The Lord. This is particularly important for us right now in our lives, in this season, in 2020, in the middle of this pandemic. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. Our rejoicing is not in society. Our rejoicing is not in culture. Our rejoicing is not in circumstances. Our rejoicing is not in any of these things. Our rejoicing, according to this passage, according to the Apostle Paul right here, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our rejoicing is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a perfectly righteous life, to give his life on the cross, to rise three days later from the grave so that we could have our sins forgiven and we could have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel and that is the sphere of your rejoicing, okay? Just imagine, you know, where do I find the reason to rejoice? It's in the sphere of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come that he has given himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners like me so that I could have eternal life in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's the ground for your rejoicing. That's the ground for my rejoicing. This is an incredible reason, isn't it, for us to rejoice today? Because that doesn't change. As much as culture shifts, as much as pandemics come and pandemics go, as much as the world around us is ever-changing, God and the gospel do not change, and that is an incredible reason to rejoice. In fact, right here, if we just look back to chapter 3, we're going to see five reasons, five reasons for us to rejoice today. These aren't going to be up on the screen, but if you're taking notes and you have a pen with you, just write them down quickly. They're pretty easy to see. We see it right here in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 20. Okay, there's five reasons, five reasons to rejoice every single day. Notice this. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not in Canada. It's not in North America. It's not tied to this country. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and therefore it is secure. Now notice this. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will return. Weren't we blessed to hear that a couple weeks ago as Pastor Toby came and spoke about the return of Jesus Christ, the fact that he's coming again, and that is a rock-solid hope and assurance that we have that Christ will return, and if we know him, he will take us to be with him in glory. That's the second thing. Now, notice the third thing, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies. I don't know about you. I just turned 40 this year. And that gets an amen at 40 from me because I hurt in places I didn't even know I had before. And all of a sudden, it's just like, man, I'm old. Like, what's going on here? And But listen, it's not just talking about our physical bodies. He's not just talking about our physical bodies that'll get sick and die. Um, He's not just talking about that. He's talking about that, but he's also talking about something so much greater. He will transform this life that is bound by flesh and bound by sin and bound by corruption. He will transform me. He will transform you, not just into something a little bit better. Look at it. He will transform us to be like his, Jesus's glorious body. How awesome is that? Isn't that incredible? Man, I can't wait for that day. This is where your hope is found. This is where your rejoicing is found. Well, there's three good reasons. Well, there's one more. If you just go over to chapter 4 and you look at the end of verse 3, 
Notice this. Whose names are written in the book of life. Right here in that verse, uh, Paul is encouraging a couple of believers who are having a dispute to agree in the Lord. And he says, to encourage them and the church with them whose names are written in the book of life. And this is a statement for all believers. Did you know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that your name is literally written in God's book in heaven? It's unerasable. It's written with the blood of Jesus Christ, so to speak. It's written and complete. It's in his book. That means you get in at the end. That is good news. That is an awesome reason for rejoicing. Well, there's four good reasons right there. But listen, brothers and sisters, I want us to take a look down back at this text that we are in this morning. Notice what it says in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Now verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be made known or be known to everyone. Now, when I think of the word reasonable, I think of a person who's thoughtful, considerate, but I think of a person who's um, pretty fair, but also persuasive, maybe persuasive in an argument. You know, they can talk about something and maybe you have a different point of view and by the end of it, you'll come around to their point of view. That's what I think about when I think about reasonable. And if you have an ESV Bible in front of you, it, it uses the word reasonable, but if you have a different translation, it probably uses a different word. Anyone have anything different than the ESV here this morning? Okay, nobody. All right, oh, maybe one. Okay. Um, but if you have maybe an NASB or uh, NIV or something like that, it probably uses the word uh, gentle, gentle spirit, or gentleness. Now, if you just take a look in your ESV Bible, you'll actually probably notice there's a footnote where it says reasonable. And if you look down at the bottom of the page, uh, you'll actually see that it also means the word gentleness. Okay? Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. Uh, the NASB, I like its translation. It says, let your gentle spirit be made known to everyone. And the way uh, the New American Commentary series uh, describes this and translates it, I, I really think this is helpful. They describe this word, this kind of difficult, complex Greek word. They describe it in this way. They say, the gentle person does not insist on his rights or her rights. It is that considerate courtesy and respect for the integrity of others which prompts them not to be forever standing on their rights. And it is preeminently the character of Jesus Christ. Don't you see that in the person of Jesus Christ? A gentle spirit. Sometimes we think gentle is weak, but when you look at Jesus, you don't think gentle is weak, do you? You think gentle is, is manly, gentle is strong, gentle is a good thing. And that's what we are being called to right here. In fact, this qualification of gentleness is actually a qualification for pastors and elders, but here in this text, it's being applied to every believer. Paul is calling every single believer who knows the Lord Jesus Christ to be a person of gentleness, a person who doesn't stand on their own rights, doesn't stand on their own opinions, but stands on the ground of Jesus Christ and is willing to lay themselves down, even in a, a sacrificial way, as Jesus Christ himself did. Now, if you're following along and you're listening carefully, I told you a few minutes ago there was going to be five, five reasons for hope, five reasons for rejoicing, but I only listed four, okay? So I've only given you four so far. So I'm going to go back. I didn't miss one. I'm going to come back to it here. We're going to catch one. I wanted to save this one, one to kind of save the best for last right here. And we actually see it right here in this 
text right at the end of verse 5. Just notice what it says. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. If you've got a pen with you, I know I've already got you underlining, and your Bible's going to be a mess, but hopefully it's a good mess. Underline that little phrase right there. Put a box around it, circle it, whatever you want to do. The Lord is at hand. Now, this little phrase, the Lord is at hand, is definitely speaking of the Lord's return. That's in the context. The surrounding context speaks of the Lord's return. And this little line right here is definitely speaking of that. But I think Paul is actually saying something that goes beyond that. In the immediate context, in the immediate context, Paul is pointing to the fact that the Lord is never distant, that the Lord is always present, that yes, he will return again soon one day, but right now in the middle of life and all of our troubles and all of our trials, the Lord is at hand. How awesome is that? The Lord is present. The Lord is right here with me in this situation. And just let this truth marinate into your mind and into your soul for a moment. Because this truth of the Lord's presence, the Lord being at hand, it begins to change everything in our lives when we remember it, when we embrace it, and when we walk in it. The Lord is at hand. Just say that to yourself right now. In your own heart, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is not far away. The Lord's not on vacation. The Lord's not in a distant place, in a different country. The Lord is at hand. Put your hand out. The Lord is at hand. You know, I think of a lot of different things when I think about this. I think of a young child. I think of my son. He woke up last night in the middle of the night um, with a nightmare, and he was upset. But everything was okay as soon as daddy was at hand. As soon as I came into his room, he started to settle right down. And last night, I have to be honest, I was not rejoicing when I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and to a screaming child and another one scared awake. I was not rejoicing at that point, but it was the Lord's grace to me in that moment. I had forgot to set my alarm clock and I probably would have been a solid hour late for first service if I had not woke up then. And so you bet by the time six o'clock rolled around, I was rejoicing that the Lord chose to wake me up through a screaming child. But, but my young son right there, everything was okay when daddy was at hand. Think about that. But think about this also. Maybe this helps you to get a little bit more. I try to figure out a way to help us get this. And maybe this one, maybe this is a bad illustration. Hopefully the first one's a good illustration. Maybe this one's a bad illustration. And I'm not sure if it's exactly true, so I already know it's a bad illustration. Okay, so it's a bad illustration, but now I have to tell you. And I've heard it said, and you've probably heard it said before, that no matter where you go in this world, you're no further than six feet away from a spider. Who's heard that before? Okay, I don't know if it's true. My mind goes automatically, what if I'm in Antarctica? What if I'm like sitting in snow? Am I six feet away from a spider? Probably not. Okay, that's where my mind goes with it. Um, but if you get that, and I know that creeps you out right now, it creeps me out. Like when I'm sleeping at night, I'm no further than six feet from a spider. Like I've seen spiders move. They can cover six feet pretty fast, right? Um, that, that creeps me out. But listen. Spider might always be close to you, six feet, but the Lord's never even six feet away. He's never six feet away. If the Lord is at hand, he's no further than a spiritual arm's length, brothers and sisters. He's right there with you, tangible in everything. He's not six feet away. He's not 12 feet away. He's not 10 feet away. He's not distant. He's present. He's present in your life and in my life, and he's right there in every situation. He's right there on the good days, 
and he's right there on the bad days. Praise God for that. I hope this thought of presence and the Lord being at hand begins to help us and strengthen us because if we get that little statement right there, we're going to understand the rest of this text very well. If we apply that little statement right there, then rejoicing and gratitude is going to start to flow in our lives and anxiety and fear and trembling and worry is going to start to dissipate in our lives. But I want us to see the second thing this morning. The second thing coming right out of verse 6. When I'm grounded in gratitude, I will resist the temptation to dwell in anxiety. I will resist the temptation to dwell in anxiety. Notice what Paul writes in verse 6. He says, because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. Because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. I think of this text this way. The Lord is at hand, therefore. Now, I don't read Greek, but I can read a commentary. And some of the commentaries tell me that there's a connection here between the Lord being at hand and therefore. Now, the word therefore is not in our English Bibles, but because of this connection, it essentially could be, okay, so it could essentially be read this way. The Lord is at hand, therefore, there is no need to be anxious. Isn't that an awesome truth? How many of us in our lives walk through life anxious, worrying, fretful, fearful? You're like, I'm not anxious. I'm just very, very, very concerned. Okay, all right, call it what you want to. But if you're very, very, very concerned, then according to the Bible, you're anxious. Now, I'm not saying that to be harsh to you, just the words in the Bible, okay? The word for anxious is the same word as the word for concerned. It's the same word, okay? And it just depends on the context, whether it can be a good concern or a fretful, um, anxious, worrying concern. Paul, at one point in the Scripture, speaks of being concerned, being anxious for the churches. That's a good concern because it's submitted to God. It's under God's authority, but it's a real legitimate concern. But then there's the anxiety, the worry and anxiety that leads us to push God out of the picture. So how do we figure this out? Well, we can't unpack it all today, that's for sure. But here's one little helpful thing for us, maybe. Your concern, does it lead you closer to God? or further away from God? Does it lead you to call out to him in prayer, or does it push you into despair? Your concern, are you controlling it, or is it controlling you? If it's controlling you, it's sinful anxiety. It's sinful worry that's not being submitted to God. If it's leading you to despair, then it's sinful worry and anxiety. And the Lord wants to lead us out of that and you know, if we're honest, I think we all struggle with this. I know I do. Absolutely. Anyone else? Two nods and one hand up. Good. Okay. All right. Oh, there's more hands coming. Okay. We're, we're, we're starting to get honest. You know, sooner or later in, in church, we're going to be honest, right? It might be heaven, but, you know, sooner or later, we'll be honest about these things. I think we all do on one level or another, don't we? We all struggle with worry and anxiety, and fear in different ways. Listen, there's a lot of contributors to anxiety as we think about this, contributors to worry. And a few of these are going to come up on the screen right now, and hopefully uh, these are helpful. I think it's helpful to list some of the contributors because it helps us to see the things that lead us down the road to anxiety before we actually get there. 
You know, you wouldn't go somewhere without a map or a GPS or, you know, Google Maps on your phone. You'd figure it out, right? So this is kind of like a map right here. Here's some contributors to anxiety, things that contribute to causing worry to flourish in our lives. First of all, a misguided perspective. Well, we heard about that last week, didn't we, from Pastor Miles? So blessed and encouraged to hear Psalm 73 in a misguided perspective and then a right perspective. A misguided perspective contributes to worry and anxiety in our lives. When we push God out of the picture and our perspective becomes focused on the horizontal plane of this world, that contributes to an anxious heart. A lack of faith. A lack of faith. Now, I mean a lack of actual practical daily trust in the Lord. I don't mean a lack of knowledge about the Bible or a lack of simple knowledge. I mean a lack of practical trust where you know the truth, but you're not walking in it. You're not applying it to your daily life. You're not applying it to the situation that you find yourselves in. Ooh, that's a contributor of anxiety and worry in my life, big time. That one's hitting the nail on the head for me. But here's another one. An overly busy crazy, frantic, hectic life. A life that is just so packed full of everything that there's no room for margin. And when there is a little bit of room for margin, you fill it full with more stuff. And then you wonder why you're exhausted, why you're nervous, why you're fretful, why you're fearful all the time, why you're anxious, and why you can't find rest. That could be a contributor to anxiety. I'm not saying these are the causes of anxiety. I'm saying these things contribute to our anxiety. Here's another one. Fear of people. Just being genuinely, genuinely fearful, caring too much about the opinions of other people, what people think about you, the opinions that other people have even right now. One person says this about COVID. Another person says this about COVID. And I'm caught in the middle being torn at the seams, just being too concerned about those things. If this season has taught me one thing, it's taught me that opinions will come and opinions will go. And next week, there'll probably be a new set. And you know what? The only one who truly knows it all is the Lord. And so I should probably just submit to him, right? But here's another one, a desire for control. A desire for control. We desire as human beings to control our circumstances, our situations around us. We desire to not just control ourselves, but to control others. We desire to control things that only God controls. And when we can't control, our hearts start to fret and our hearts start to fear and our start, hearts start to get anxious and it becomes a serious problem in our lives because we're not in control. Well, reality check for all of us, we're not in control. You know, if, if this season has taught us a second thing, it's that we're not in control and it's okay to be not in control. You know, quick summary for us right now, and this is probably, I don't want to say the biggest thing God's taught me in this season, but this is probably one of the most helpful for me anyway. God has taught me in this season in many ways that the only thing that he gives me the responsibility to control is myself. And normally, that's more than enough work for me in a given day. You know, if all that I need to control today is myself, I'm probably going to fail still a majority of the time. That's my sphere of control. I don't need to control government. I don't need to control what others think. I don't need to control what this person's doing. I don't need to control those things. Those are in God's hands. He's sovereign. I'm not. I need to control me. And that's hard enough, to be honest. A desire for control will contribute to an anxious heart. But here's two more, and we're going to dig into these a little bit more as we move further into this text. 
Two more things that you've got to add to your list here. First, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is a massive contributor to an anxious heart. Prayerlessness. Second, thanklessness. Just genuinely thankless in our lives, walking through life. And maybe, maybe you're praying, but maybe there's no thankfulness in your prayer. There's no reason for thankfulness in your life as you think of it anyway. But there always is. Prayerlessness and thanklessness. Listen, brothers and sisters, why shouldn't we be anxious right now? Why shouldn't we be anxious in the middle of this pandemic and coming into the fall not knowing what's going to happen? Why shouldn't we be anxious? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand right now. He's at hand today in this moment. He's at hand later this fall. He's at hand over the winter. And no matter what happens, he will always be at hand and available for us. That is an awesome truth that we need to press into our hearts. Matthew 6, 34 said it this way. Jesus asked this question, amazing question. He said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, I guess there's not a question there, but there's a question there for me. The question for me is, why do I get so stirred up then? If tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself and today's got enough trouble of its own, why don't I simply just focus on what's in front of me today and leave the rest to the Lord? What a great question for our hearts. I want to ask you a question right now for you, for your own heart. What situation in your own life right now is causing you to be anxious? Worried or just very concerned? I'm not anxious about any. I'm just very concerned. Okay, well, which situation is causing you to be very concerned? Okay, get it in your head. You got it in your head? Everybody got one? Just nod your head when, when it's a yes. Okay, most of us have one. All right, okay. You've got the situation. Now I want to ask you this. What difference would it make if right now in your life, Jesus Christ came and physically stood beside you in all of his power and all of his glory, like on the Mount of Transfiguration, and your eyes were opened to see that he is with you, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you. How would that change your perspective? That would change everything, wouldn't it? It changed everything in my life. I think, why was I worried about this a few minutes ago? He's right there with me. Well, that is our reality. He's present. Yes, we can't see him. Yes, we can't touch him. But he is there. The Lord is at hand. And if we get this, if we get this, then we understand that really there is no need for us to dwell in anxiety, for us to dwell in worry. But listen, there's more here for us. Let's look down at the end of verse 6. The end of verse 6. Notice this, that we're not to be anxious. There's no need to be anxious if the Lord is at hand, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, here's point number three this morning. Point number three, when I'm grounded in gratitude, I will request divine support with a thankful heart. When I'm grounded in gratitude, when you're grounded in gratitude in our lives, we will request God's support with a thankful heart. We will pray, we will call out to the Lord with a thankful heart. Listen, even in our complex modern lives right now, the same simple concerns cause anxiety, isn't it? 
What are we anxious about? We're anxious about our lives. We're anxious about the economy. We're anxious about the pandemic. We're anxious about food. We're anxious about our kids. We're anxious about our jobs. What else? There's lots of other stuff that we're anxious about. The same things that the people in Jesus's day were anxious about. And so if the problem is the same, then wouldn't it make sense that the solution is the same? If the problem is the worries of life, and God is in control over and above all of the worries and circumstances of our lives, doesn't it make sense that calling out to him in prayer is the solution to our worries and anxieties? Yes, prayer, prayer cures worry. But notice this, I want you to notice this, because this is not just break out your prayer list and rattle it off in the morning and get your check mark in the box. This is something different that Paul is talking about right here. He is talking about prayer that is rooted and grounded in thanksgiving. It's prayer that is cultivated in the soil of gratitude from a thankful heart. Prayer is a huge part of this, but thanksgiving is the central part of it, that we would call out to the Lord continually with thankful hearts, that we would praise God for the difficult days that we walk through. You're like, what? Why, why would I praise God for this right now? This is not going according to my five-year life plan. Well, maybe God's calling you to bench your five-year life plan because he's got something better for you. Um, why else would you give thanks in the middle of this season to the Lord? Why would you give thanks even for the things that are difficult right now? Because those things that are trials and tribulations in your life and my life right now are refining you bit by bit, day by day. They're making you more and more like Jesus Christ himself. Are you seeing that in this season? Are you seeing your own flesh rise to the surface when one person's opinion conflicts with your opinion? I'm seeing that in my life. And you know what that's giving me? An opportunity to repent, an opportunity to turn to the Lord, an opportunity to confess my flesh and my weakness and how I am so self-centered enough to think that my opinion is always right. The Lord's giving me an opportunity to learn what it means to show grace and humility, to yield to others, to set my rights aside, to become more like Jesus Christ in this season. And most of the time, I'm not thankful for it. Most of the time, I'm like, Lord, why are you letting this happen? This is not my plan. Humility check right there. The Lord's like, you're right. It's not your plan. It's my plan, and it's much better. And it's going to work out that in the end, you will be more and more like Jesus Christ. So let me ask you right now, are you giving thanks in this season? Are you giving thanks for even the difficult things, the exceptionally hard things? Because those things the Bible teaches us so clearly, those trials and tribulations are working and producing for you and for me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, an eternal weight of glory that goes beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen in this world, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen in this world are transient, they're fading away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what God's doing right in the middle of this. And so in that, brothers and sisters, we can all raise up in joyfulness with thankful hearts. God, you're doing something. I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And if I'm really honest, I don't even like it. But you're doing something and it's going to be good and I'm going to trust you for it. So would you help me? That's a prayer of gratitude. That's a prayer of a thankful heart. And listen, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and if you know, prayer is a real struggle for you in your lives, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you because I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a struggle for me in my life. I can attest to the fact that this week there were a few things that flew my way that had my focus right down here and, uh, 
and just frustrated and just off the rails, no gratitude. And I look back, there was a point this week, earlier this week, where I was like, I don't want to preach this passage. I know I chose it a month ago. I know Pastor Paul asked me to preach on Thanksgiving and gratitude on Thanksgiving. And I know I chose Philippians 4 back then and said, that's the one that the Lord wants me to preach. I'm like, I don't want to preach it. It's too convicting. I can't stand up there and preach it with a clear conscience. And in that moment, the Lord gave me an opportunity to repent and confess my sin and confess my weakness and get low before him of how these things that I'm calling you to, they're not nearly evident enough in my life. So don't think that I'm up here saying, I've got this figured out, you need to get this. I'm up here like, I really don't want to give this message because it's too convicting to me because I struggle with this stuff too much. And so hear it from that perspective. But if you're struggling right now with prayer in your Christian life, I just, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you. I want to seriously challenge you and I want you to take the challenge. I want to challenge you if you're struggling with not just prayer, not just a prayer list, go through the motions prayer, but if you're struggling to pray with gratitude and thanksgiving, I want to challenge you today to set aside three times every day for the next two weeks. Mark it on your calendar, put it in your phone as a reminder so an alarm goes off, whatever. Three, three times a day, three times a day, five to ten minutes of praying with a thankful heart. You're like, well, what if my heart doesn't feel thankful? Well, faith is not based on feelings. It's based on who the Lord is, and that never changes. And so that's a great thing to pray for. Lord, my heart's not thankful right now. Honestly, it's quite rotten. So would you change it in the next few minutes and get me moving in the right direction? Okay, that's a great spot to start. He'll do it. God will do that in your life if you'll ask him from a genuine heart. You're like, well, what do I pray? Well, just open up your Bible, maybe to Philippians, okay? Paul rejoices more in Philippians than anywhere else in Scripture. Just read a few verses and find a few things to rejoice in. But if you're not praying right now consistently in your life with a thankful heart, you are missing out on a ton of blessing in your life right now. You're missing out on joy in the Lord and peace of the Lord. So I'm not just saying, hey, you know, start your day with prayer and then kind of just do your own thing. I'm saying, you know, if that's your routine right now, if you just do morning kind of devotions and then really, you know, put God on the shelf for the rest of the day, I'm saying, don't stop the devotions, okay? Hear me, don't stop the devotions, but incorporate thankfulness and prayer throughout your day as well. Stop at lunchtime. Lord, my day's just been so crazy and so busy and so hectic. I'm so thankful I can find a refuge in you. Would you bless that right now? See what God does. Maybe if you're coming home from work, it's been a very stressful day. Before you pull into the driveway, just pull over for a minute. Take five minutes. Don't take an hour, okay? Your, your spouse will be pretty upset with you, but just take a few minutes right there and just pray, Lord, would you even help me to, to love and to lead my family well when I come in the door? I challenge you to this. I call you to this. Take time, set aside time to really give thanks to the Lord with a thankful heart and notice the difference that it'll make. I want you to notice this. Take, that, take a look down at verse 7. Here's the result. Here's the result of a thankful, prayer-filled life. We see it right here in verse 7. When we take everything to the Lord by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. Notice what happens in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How awesome is that? It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the fourth thing that we need to see this morning, the last thing in this passage. When I'm grounded in gratitude, I will rely on God's all-sufficient care. 
when I'm grounded in gratitude, I will rely on the Lord to guard me, to protect me, to take care of me, to guard my heart, to guard my mind. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise. The Lord promises his peace to the person who will pray and seek him with a thankful heart. He promises that. He doesn't promise that life will be easy. He doesn't promise that all of your circumstances and situations will change. No, but he promises that your perspective will change. He promises that he will give you his peace in your mind and in your heart. Think about that for a second. What does our world want right now in the middle of this pandemic? Peace of mind, don't they? The world is searching, looking for peace of mind. But God's not just going to give you simple peace of mind. He's going to give you peace in your heart. He's going to give you the joy of Jesus Christ in your heart. The book of Proverbs says, guard your heart with all vigilance, for for from it flow the springs of life. But notice what Philippians is saying here, that when we run to the Lord with thankfulness and prayer and we cast our cares and our anxieties upon him, God guards us with his peace. Isn't that way better than you anxiously standing on guard? Got to guard my heart, right? God's guarding your heart as you run to him in this way. He will Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I believe that we believe that phrase. But I often believe that I believe that phrase a lot more up here than I do right here. Because if I believed it a lot more right here, my life would actually change quite rapidly as a result. So how do we get that from here to here? I think the only way to do it is through practice. We practice We practice praying with a thankful heart. We practice confessing our sins and our struggles to one another. We practice calling out to the Lord. We practice seeking Him. And we let this grow bit by bit as we cultivate the soil of gratitude in our lives. As we work it up, as we care for it, as we would a garden, we cultivate it and we see what the Lord will do. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you one question just as we close. I know it's not possible, but just imagine. Imagine that right now, in this moment, in this time that we find ourselves in, in the middle of this pandemic, just imagine that you knew everything that could be humanly known about COVID-19. Everything that science has already discovered, everything that is true about it, you would know it. Just imagine that you would know it. And then I want to ask you this question. Do you think that you would have more peace in your heart and in your life? And now I'm going to answer that question for you. And you're fine for you to disagree with me. That's, that's okay. But I'm going to answer it for you anyway, because I'm up here right now. And I'm going to say, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. I'm just speaking for myself. I know I wouldn't. Because anxiety, worry, grumbling, a lack of gratitude... It's not an information problem. It's not an information problem. It's not a circumstantial problem. It's not a situational problem. It's a heart problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a faith problem. And you can't solve a faith problem. You can't solve a worship problem. You can't solve a heart problem with more information. The only one who can solve a heart problem is the living God. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one who can give us peace 
in our hearts right now and for the rest of eternity. He's the only one that can solve the heart problems of our worry, our anxiety, and our fearfulness. And he'll only do it if we invite him to do it, if we run to him, if we ask him to do it, if we pursue him and invite him continually to do it in our lives. And that only comes to us as we pursue him with thankful hearts, as we put thankfulness, rejoicing, gratitude on the forefronts of our minds, and we say, Lord, I need you to help me do this in my life. It's not right. It's not right for me to walk through this life grumbling and arguing and being divisive with others. It's not right. So would you make me more like Jesus Christ? Would you give me a gentle spirit? Would you give me a greater love for my brothers and sisters? Would you give me a greater compassion? Would you give me a greater peace in my own heart right now? You know, brothers and sisters, this morning we actually have an incredible opportunity in front of us to practice what we just finished hearing. This morning is obviously it's Thanksgiving weekend, and one of the things that we love to do on Thanksgiving weekend here at Harvest Niagara is to take communion together. And that gives us an incredible opportunity to practice rejoicing and gratitude and thankfulness. And as the worship team comes up here, I just invite you uh, to grab the little cup that you received as you came in. And if you're streaming online and you, you don't have anything yet, just push pause for a second and go grab what you need and then start that video again and then uh, come and take communion with us. But this morning, we have an incredible opportunity to just practice, to put into practice through faith what we just received, what we just heard. But this morning... As we turn our attention and our focus to the Lord's table, I just want you to take your Bible and just turn back just one page in your Bible right now. Turn back one page, probably one page anyway, to Philippians chapter 2. We've heard many reasons this morning to rejoice in the Lord. We've heard many reasons to give thanks to the Lord, but I want to just direct you back to Philippians chapter 2, which is an incredible passage about what Christ, Jesus Christ, has done for you, what he's done for me and coming to be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. I just want to read this passage to you. I, I, I'm not going to comment on it a whole lot, maybe just a couple things quickly, but I just want to read it because I think this passage speaks to us so loudly and so clearly. If we just open our ears to hear it, the Lord will do the rest of the work in our hearts. So let's just listen to Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And as I'm reading this, even you know, if something strikes you, Lord, convict your heart on something. Confess it. Take a moment to confess it, just right in your seat where you are. You know, Scripture tells us that we are to, to search ourselves, that we are to ask the Lord to search our hearts and prepare our hearts as we get ready to take communion. So even just do that as this passage is being read to you right now. Philippians 2, starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was born or who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's just pause there for a second. Just pause there and consider all that Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the one who was at the Father's right hand before all of creation, chose to lay that glory aside to step down to this earth for you and for me. Think about the active obedience of Jesus Christ to obey every single command that was ever given perfectly. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. Think about the passive obedience of Jesus Christ where he willingly chose to let himself be beaten, mocked, and nailed to a sinner's cross. Nails driven into his hands. Nails driven into his feet. His blood poured out for you, for me, so that we could have salvation. If that doesn't stir up thankfulness in your heart, I'm not sure what will. In Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The passage doesn't stop there. Take a look at verse 9. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise the Lord. that He is risen. He's ascended. And today, as we remember Christ, we remember his example. We remember his obedience. We remember his perfection. We remember his death in our place, but we also remember the incredible hope of the resurrection this morning.